Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Ruth Richardson and hearing more about her career journey through law, politics, international consultancy and corporate governance. Ruth started her career as a lawyer before moving into politics, where she rose to prominence in her role as a reformist minister of finance in the 1990s. She was a trailblazer in terms of gender equality in Aotearoa, the first female MP for Selwyn and New Zealand's first ever female minister of finance. And I remember personally watching Ruth on TV in the early 90s and seeing her as a courageous and purposeful female role model who always stood up firmly for what she believed in. Following her political career, Ruth has worked extensively in New Zealand and internationally in public policy consulting and corporate governance. She's held numerous directorships, including with the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Sinlay Milk, Oyster Bay Vineyards and Jade Software. In her international consultant work, she's advised institutions such as the World Bank and the United Nations, as well as directly advising governments in nearly every corner of the world. She remains a strong advocate for women at work and was one of the founding members of Global Women here in New Zealand. I'm really looking forward to hearing her thoughts on her career and our conversation today. Kia ora Ruth and thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, kia ora Anna. Uh, so Ruth, if I could start with a, a first question, which is thinking back to when you were perhaps first considering your, your career options as a child or a teenager, what did you at that stage want to be or do when you grew up? When I was about 15, I declared to my parents that I wanted to be a politician, mm-hmm. a political, if you like, uh, activity ran in my family genes. My great-grandfather came from the United Kingdom and was uh, a member of parliament, uh, ended in quite a colourful fashion. Mm-hmm. I, I had had activist politicians around me. My grandmother, very active in the local electorate committee, my father, an electorate committee chairman. And I guess in my combination in my genes was a strong pH factor, pig-headedness. <laughs> I'm very activist by nature. I'm very reform oriented by disposition and I'm a change agent in what I've sought to do and I was born in 1950. I grew up in a typical farming family. Uh, My classmates were primarily Maori. My parents' worry was that the only little white girl in the front row with the long poi would be the one who dropped it. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I had, like many children of that upbringing, uh, I had no sense of ceiling, and yet I saw, as a young woman in particular, barriers everywhere I looked. So I felt that the way to transform New Zealand on many fronts, not the least of which it was to break those barriers, was to be a player, not a spectator. Mm-hmm. And so I sought to become a politician, and I did. And talk me a little bit about your career journey into politics, because I think you started your career first, in fact, as a lawyer. Well, I'm, I've always been very strategic on my own account. 
So at 15, having decided I wanted to be a politician, I then set about, well, what are the things I have to get under my belt, sort of the credentials, mm. to have a really good crack at a, at a safe National Party seat because mm. I'm a market person by orientation. Not that the National Party has always adhered to that philosophy, but that really is, is its driving force. So I consulted my local member of parliament, who himself was a lawyer. He was the Speaker of the House, Sir Roy Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I determined that I would do a law degree because that's, if you like, the, the stuff of which uh, a lot of the lawmaking part of politics is involved. And it's just like mathematics, only you verbalise uh, the logic. So all of that training seemed to me to be very sensible. I deliberately chose from a small rural west coast town in the North Island, Waitotara, to go to the University of Canterbury because I knew that landing up in in Parliament, which would mean I would live a lot of my life in Wellington. So Victoria University was the obvious place to go. I went to the Canterbury University. Hmm. I became very active in the Young Nationals at Canterbury University. My first job when I left was, in fact, in law. I got an honours degree in law, finished my law degree actually in Wellington because I'd secured a position in the Law Reform Division of the Justice Department. So that hit two birds with one stone. I, I... determined I'd never fall in love and never to another lawyer. And guess what? Uh, That's where I I met Andrew and we've been married for 45 years. Uh, So the idea of of the Law Reform Division was that you got to be in Parliament all of the time as the Minister's advisor. So I got very up close and personal. uh, And ironically, I challenged Sir Roy Jack for his seat. I I felt he'd come out of touch uh, with his constituency, that was a big no-no in the National Party. Mm. So I, I blooded myself as a, a contrarian, an outlier, pretty much early on. And after that failed bid to get his constituency nomination, I left and joined Federated Farmers because I knew that you would never get selected in a safe national seat as a bureaucrat. Farmers hate bureaucrats. And so for uh, six years, uh, having taken one off to campaign against Bill Rowling, who was then the leader of the opposition for a year in Tasman. For good part, I had a remit to wander the country, take up farmers' causes, and become very well known in my own right. Mm. Uh, so when I tried for the third time in Selwyn, they hadn't had a, a contested selection for 36 years. I was a complete outsider. Uh, I'd only been to Canterbury University, but that was sort of on the periphery, mm. and I won on the first ballot. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I like the way you talked about that kind of strategic long view of your career and taking some advice about what might be the best route in, but also finding your own feet and, and on the way through. What were some of the, the highlights and, and also the challenges through your political career? Well, as I said, I, I went into politics to be a change agent. I remember Muldoon looking at me and he'd had um, enough of a taste of me by that by now, by then, to know that I was trouble in a short skirt and very short legs. <laughs> and he said, now, what do you want to do, girly? Um, small business? And I said, excuse me, I want to conquer inflation. No, 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 what do you really want to do, girly? Uh, well, I actually want to take a serious uh, stake in transforming this country to become open and competitive. And I'm going to start with arguing for divorcing the stewardship of monetary policy from the political influence and dictate that you have exhibited in your conduct of monetary policy. And I mean to see that New Zealand lives in a fiscally responsible fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please open the box. And, you know, at that stage, I was the majority. We had a majority one. Mm-hmm. So Muldoon was forced to let me look at the books because I said, I'm not going to vote for any legislation if I don't know the basis upon which I'm voting. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it was a very intentionally fractured start with Muldoon. I mean, in essence, I came to bury his political legacy, and so it proved to be. And if I may say, a lot of I know it's something that a lot of women sometimes struggle with is actually the challenge of trying to perhaps be liked or be popular at work, exhibit that sense of warmth alongside being seen as competent. And what I liked about that story there is actually you went in deliberately knowing that actually you were going to agitate and weren't afraid to do so because of that higher purpose that you saw in place. Yes, I mean, my my purpose was obviously on much more than the inflation front. I, Mm. I saw a New Zealand that was closed, that was uncompetitive. The thing that has always driven me, my North Star, is the incredible uh, power and and influence of individuals given their own head, given their wings, allowed to fly to innovate for better social and and economic welfare. And, you know, we're seeing that in in the current pandemic. So I was there as as sort of an angel of liberation, not just women's liberation, which I very, very strongly am committed to, was committed to then and was a real activist even before I got into Parliament Mm. uh, since 1975, which was International Women's Year. But I sought to liberate New Zealanders and to liberate the New Zealand uh, economy. And I I knew that absent the top job, where really the Prime Minister's job is to be the, you know, its politics is is a lot of theatre, and we're seeing it of high order in New Zealand right now, where the conductor of the orchestra has to be loved, liked, admired, empathetic, all of those things, but the the engine room is conducted by the Minister of Finance. Mm. Uh, that's that's where the reform engine lies, and I knew that to transform New Zealand's prospects, uh, and they were dire, quite frankly, mm. that to transform our prospects and give ourselves, you know, the kind of platform I knew that uh, we needed to prosper and, and do well in the world, let alone well at home would require very, very substantial, fundamental, structural reforms in New Zealand. And, you know, there's a saying, you know, you don't make an omelette if, if you are not prepared to break the eggs. And there are a lot of reform resistors. Uh, and, you know, at the time, um, it, it called for courage and conviction. Mm. And I guess to the extent of what would I have called success, in a professional sense, success was that my reform formula worked for New Zealand and in a personal sense that I was respected. I didn't go into politics mm. to be loved, but mm. certainly I sought to be respected. And after, I think it's about 13, 14 years in politics, you decided to to move on from that and have struck a thoroughly successful career in both kinds of the international stage, but also in corporate governance and talk to me, what was it about being a director or about corporate governance that appealed to you? Well, if I'm back up the bus just for one minute, you know, for you me, there have always been three great causes in life. Nation building, which was my political career. And for me, the legacy was the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which has been so, so important uh, to New Zealand weathering not just this pandemic uh, that's now uh, required the government to throw the fiscal book at at COVID. Mm. But before that, the global financial crisis, you know, oil, we've had various oil crises and in particular the Christchurch earthquakes. Mm. So that that was my my legacy was transformation and leaving the house in much, much better order to be Mm. able to withstand shocks in the future. So that's nation building. Business building, that's the stuff of which any nation is built. 
uh, as we're finding very painful now, mm. you do not have the wherewithal to fund your society and, and your, your services uh, unless you've got a strong economy. If that's on the blink, look out, everyone. And, of course, the stuff of which everything is made is, is the family. And so, as mm. you saw this morning, the foundation of my family uh, has been everything. So of that, those three great causes, when I left politics, I determined that I would move to business building and to both leverage, on the one hand, my reputation as an economic policy reformer and coach other countries, and, and that was fascinating and, uh, I might say, lucrative, mm. but in parallel that I would pursue a career of cor corporate governance, which I've done until uh, this time. I've still got three very active chairmanships or, or directorships. Uh, and at the cor corporate governance level, a bit like politics, I suppose, although governing a country is very different to governing a company, mm. uh, but the sorts of responsibilities that you shoulder, the tone from the top, your ability to influence at the table, uh, they are similar matters. But I've sought in, in corporate uh, governance to particularly, you know, I, I've picked the enterprises uh, that I wanted uh, to play a part in. And desperately, New Zealand needs to deepen and widen economic performance. So all of the companies that I've been involved with have a, a great innovative streak. So the, the, the business building part, and there's a long way to go for New Zealand, we are underpowered big time. We sell ourselves short big time. But nevertheless, to be able to... Uh, now, as a country, you know, power ourselves up, be competitive with ideas and with goods and services, to really act on the edge, to really pioneer as we did with public policy like independent central banks or fiscal responsibility codes, to pioneer as Sinlay Milk has done or the New Zealand Merino Company, so that we can move New Zealand's offerings right up into the highest premium value channel to talk with our customers and to link them back to what we do so well in here in New Zealand, which is to produce ethical, sustainable, highly nutritious uh, and highly desirable uh, food food and fibre, if I take those those two companies. And I think I saw even this morning when we when we met briefly the, uh, that, that you were wearing some of the products in terms of New Zealand Merino and, and into the Allbirds shoes. Well, you, you can imagine, I mean, this is this is a business choice, but it's a lifestyle choice as well. So as yeah. I sit here, I've got icebreaker socks, yeah. I've got wool jeans that were made by a client, New Zealand Merino uh, company in Japan. They mainly make school uniforms for Japanese kids, but their jeans are just to die for. And and I've got a, a, an icebreaker top on, but, but equally I might have a smart wool top on. You know, the offering is fantastic. And when I first joined the board of the New Zealand Merino Company, they had left the old wall board, the old, you know, compulsory gulag that, that we used to have our, you know, primary industries put into in milk and meat and dairy. And when, when I, I left and arrived at the New Zealand Merino Company, they had this category called lohas, who are basically your young, active lifestyle people who didn't look at wool as a bale of wool and, and carpet and, and you know, um, scratchy singlets. They looked at beautiful, active outdoor wear products mm. uh, that would never stink, uh, you'd never go cold, mm. and you'd look, you know, really fit for purpose on a ski, ski soap or, or, or tramping or 
cycling and, and, you know, Andrew and I have done all those things throughout our married life. Yeah, I'm certainly a big, big advocate. I can, I'm wearing a bit in Bruno myself here to keep myself a bit warm in the, in, the, um, in the coldish winter day that we've got today. You mentioned Andrew a couple of times, your husband, and I was reading an article recently that said one of the most important decisions that a woman can make in her career is the choice of a supportive partner. And from what I've read and seen, that, that seems like you made a good choice there. Well, I 100% agree with that. I mean, the, the one choice that you don't have control over are your parents. I, you know, came up with, with you know, a hand of gold because my father was very ambitious for his only daughter. I've got two brothers. And my mother is very creative, very ingenious and pretty pig-headed. Uh, so I had, you know, wonderful, couldn't have wished for any better but you're right. You know, I could be very strategic about what I want to do, what I had to do to be selected in a safe national seat and, the, and you know, then use that firepower and political capital uh, to do what I wanted to do to transform New Zealand's prospects. But matters of the heart, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> you cannot be so calculated or strategic. But what I knew was I wanted to marry somebody who was instinctively feminist. Mm. And Andrew's parents, they were the same era as my parents. Andrew's mother didn't take her her, her husband's name mm. until she was eight months pregnant. Mm. She worked throughout her career. His father was a scientist. But so far as I could tell, they shared parenting and, and housework. So, you know, I, I really had an ideal combination in, in Andrew and you know, we were both in the Justice Department, which is where we met. We argued for a year and then fell in love. <laughs> we married. We uh, lived in Wellington until uh, 1980 when I was selected in Selwyn. And we knew that when I was elected in 1981 that big conflict of interest issues were going to arise. He was a rising star in the Justice Department. Mm. He could not have a position where... You know, my husband was advising a minister that I was opposing. Mm. So we, we sat down after about eight years because I knew I'd never, never, never get selected in a safe national seat with a child. Mm. After eight years and I'd been two years in the house, we decided to have children. Mm. And at that stage, Andrew left the Justice Department, came to Canterbury, and he's been the primary uh, caregiver for our, for our two children both of whom are now just having their own children, one born last night. So I'm right in the zone, this, mm -hmm. uh, this beautiful, beautiful platform called Your Family. And uh, he, when I became a minister, he, he effectively um, then retired from, uh, he, he worked part-time at, at Lincoln University lecturing in law. When I became a minister, it was just too much of a handful to have small children and, and a wife who was scarcely ever at home. Mm. So since, since I left uh, politics, he has been the one who's who's basically been my agent of adventure mm -hmm. and has also been my office manager. So it, it's been a very, very happy combination. Mm. Nice to hear it and nice to hear that story and that, as you say, you can't be strategic in the matters of the heart, but you fell in, you fell in love well. So that was, that was good. You know, you talked about the grandkid just being born, but you remain still very busy with your directorships. How do you manage to find that balance between your working life and, and your broader life? Well, again, I've always been quite strategic. I've, I've always put a huge premium on fitness. Mm. So when I came here to Canterbury University, I was in a hostel just opposite Hagley Park. So every morning I used to run around Hagley Park. Mm -hmm. And I've, I basically carried on that habit. Don McKinnon, who was a terrific colleague to have, Deputy Don, 
he gave me advice one day and said, the most important meeting you have is with yourself. Mm. So if you think of in a day, this this will be my, I will have five meetings today, but the mm. first meeting was an hour with myself in our home gym. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow it will be an hour with myself in the, in the local Rolleston Aquatic Centre swimming. Mm-hmm. So I do an hour of exercise every day, mm-hmm. you know, except if I'm catching planes early in the morning or across a time zone where it's not possible. So I think that's really important to have that balance. When I was a minister in particular, we had two small children. You know, I had high responsibility, but I used to what I call fence matters off. So I would never let my responsibilities of state, you know, spill over um, in an inappropriate way to the love that I had with my family and to be with my family. Mm. In fact, I was a lot of a nuisance value. Andrew would, would, like a lot of men do when they look after children, everything is, you know, down to an inch of its life and the kids just loved it. Mm. And I'd come home and I'd be the big spoiler. And then I'd, I'd be put back on a plane to Wellington on, on uh, <laughs> Monday morning, bugger off and <laughs> let me reestablish the routine with, with the children. Yes. Uh, so fencing things off is pretty important. But I think most of all, having a purpose that fires you up from which you do not deviate mm. means that you know how to, you've got a lens through which you can think about things in an entirely consistent way. And, you know, for me, that North Star has always been, you know, love for uh, freedom uh, and wanting to see freedom in all its matter, personal freedom, social freedom, economic freedom, political freedom, to see that exhibited on all stages uh, and in all phases uh, of life and in all settings. And that has meant that it's been easy for me to make the sacrifices uh, that I was prepared and Andrew was prepared to make to uh, serve in the public domain. And it's meant that it's given me a very clear compass as I've thought about my responsibility in corporate governance. I'm feeling inspired, maybe not to go for an hour-long swim tomorrow, but certainly uh, certainly perhaps to do a bit more exercise in the morning. It sounds like it's, it's, it's a good habit for me to get a bit more into. Yeah, but, you know, you've got small children. And, are, and you know, Andrew, Andrew always growls at me when I sort of give this the most important meeting is with yourself lecture. And, you know, I mean, we, we had small children too, but in, in my case, my small children were with Andrew and for the five, six days a week that I was away in Parliament, they had mm. parliamentary gym, you know, I could get up. I've always been an early morning person. I could get up at half past five or six. I could do my exercise knowing that, you know, my precious children were in, you know, the most fantastic hands. Mm. So, you know, it is more difficult to organise with family life and, and, you know, bringing about flexibility is important. But, you know, now with, with my daughter and, and daughter-in-law with, you know, two lots, of uh, we've got pigeon pairs in both families and they're all under three you know seeing small children now again it's it's you know I, I spend the deal at the moment is for every new grandchild I give up a board so the little one born yesterday yet to be named I will cease my chairmanship of the New Zealand Merino company in two or three months time and that, that's that's her deal because you know I'm determined to ensure that you know I get the delight and can invest the time and energy in, in our grandchildren Mm, and that is a you know that kind of I like it one in one out policy, but the uh, yeah, that, yes. that's one way to to find balance still within your life as mm. well. Yeah. Mm. And if you look back on your career now, what one or two of your proudest career moments? Well, you know there are proud career moments like you know being admitted to the bar mm. as a lawyer, 
being elected to parliament the third time of, of trying, becoming Minister of Finance and in charge of the engine room as the first and only woman to do that in mm. New Zealand, to be in office not for its own sake but to transform the country's prospects, mm. to leave a legacy of the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which is, has been such a critical platform for New Zealand where we've had the ability to make choices. So getting down debt and, and basically defeating deficits has given New Zealand that optionality that most other countries have not had. Mm. And then in the, in the private sector, to see Sinlay leave the cooperative structure and become one of the highest performing infant formula companies for our size in the world, mm. to be with you know, new banks in this country. I've got two directorships that are directly affected with Chinese connections. I'm a director of the Bank of China in New Zealand. Mm. So to see a startup Chinese bank in New Zealand and to foster uh, that relationship so it's literally win-win has been very important. To see agribusinesses generally really, you know, motor up the ones that I'm involved with the, the so-called value chain, mm. and in particular to see the now emergence of women as recognised talent in their own right. So if I think of my daughter, let alone my little granddaughter, mm. born not even 24 hours ago, for them there is no ceiling. There are only open doors. There is not institutionalised discrimination. They will face hurdles. They do need to be focused. They do mm. need to study hard. My daughter is a vet, which is a very hard profession, mm. and she is a major in the New Zealand Army and has served overseas for this country, and she didn't do that simply by saying the doors are open, let me fly. Mm. So, you know, there is, um, it goes without saying, you know, you've got to put in the hard work, the hard yards, you've got to understand what it is that drives you, what talent you bring to the table. And, but to see now the emergence, particularly in Maoridom, I must say, you know, listening to Radio New Zealand in the morning where they present the Maori program, the number of young Maori women who lead organisations, economic and social, is just fantastic. Mm. The number of young journalists uh, who are of Pacific Island origin, the number of women who now uh, are the voices that we're hearing during the pandemic and not always sycophantically mm. following a government line but thinking for themselves about what's next. It, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that flourishing of talent. So for me, seeing the thousand flowers bloom in respect of how New Zealanders can think about their prospects uh, and follow their line of passion and act on it, for me, those have been huge highlights of, of, of a blessed life. Mm, what a wonderful summary. And have you got any any pieces of career advice for other women? Well, you know, I, I think we live in the most favourable of times, and I, I say that feeling very dark about New Zealand's immediate prospects. The now for New Zealand as we emerge from the fog of war against the pandemic, and the pandemic is not an event. It, it's a permanent threat and a permanent risk until mm. such time, if at all, that a vaccine is found. We've got fiscal and monetary madness and a lot of enterprises are being smashed and dreams are being smashed in the process. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not wanting to be, you know, somebody who doesn't 
demonstrate that I understand those realities. But we live in the best of times in the sense that people have found their voice, Mm. that we've all experienced the joy of flexible working hours. People have become more human. Mm. There is going to be a premium through this disruption. You know, I've been a big fan of Joseph Schumpeter, an economist who was the I didn't do a degree in economics, but the first economic book I read was his, mm. and he coined the phrase creative destruction. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of destruction around us. Who's going to lead the creativity? Uh, there's just the platform for women to burn. Wonderful. I um, I look forward to hearing some more stories of women who've uh, had a bit of creative destruction themselves and hopefully launching themselves into some exciting ventures as a result. Ruth, thank you so much for your words of wisdom and for sharing with us your career journey. For me personally, it's been fascinating to hear it and, and I'm sure it will be for lots of people listening too. So thank you. Okay, aroha. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.